This is the PMP Industry Insider Podcast. We're talking about what is changing in the industry and taking you straight to the front lines of what the future holds. If you're ready to grow your pest control or lawn care business, you're in the right place. Hello, everyone. Welcome out to another episode of the PMP Industry Insider Podcast, where we look at what is changing in the industry and we take you to the front lines to those that are changing those things in the industry. My name is Donnie Shelton, owner of Triangle Home Services, which runs the Triangle Pest Control and Triangle Lawn Care brands, as well as the CEO of Comarch, a digital marketing and sales services that offers pest and lawn digital marketing uh, to the pest and lawn industries. And with me, as always, is my colleague, esteemed colleague, Mr. Dan Gordon. Dan, can you say hello, please? Hello, everyone. Uh, Dan Gordon, PCO Bookkeepers, Fractionalized CFO Services, and PCO M&A Consultants. We are exit planning specialists as well. And um, today we're going to be talking about the state of M&A in the pest industry with one of the titans, the titans of the pest M&A world. That is Matt Whiting from Rollins. Uh, Hang on. Can you tell me the definition of a Titan? That's that's a pretty uh, big word there. A football team out of Tennessee. I'm so, imagining like lightning bolts, you know, yeah. right now. Like, okay, good. Yeah. All right. So Matt's vice president, corporate development for Rollins, handling M&A for Orkin and the rest of the Rollins brands. Um, he's been with Rollins since 2013. Prior to working with Rollins, he worked in private equity, investment banking world, uh, for a few boutique shops in the greater Atlanta market. And he holds a degree in economics from Emory University and an MBA from Georgia State University. Welcome, Matt. We are excited to have you. Dan, thank you very much. Donnie, great to be here with both of you. And um, I look forward to a nice conversation over the next little bit. And I, I, Dan, I want to really thank you for the uh, for the comment on Titan. I, I, I didn't <laughs> expect you to comment on my weight, but uh, <laughs> go ahead. Right. Oh. Uh, so anyway, uh, so I kind of gave you the canned uh, background, but uh, give us a little more of a deep dive into your background. Tell us how you came into the pest control and into the M and A role, and uh, how you. Uh, you know, blended the two to make it work. Yeah, uh, thanks uh, for the opportunity. I, you know, I think the the theme that uh, that ties my career together is just relationships. And uh, you know, I got started uh, uh, right out of uh, business school, working uh, for a, a local accounting and business valuation firm uh, here in Atlanta. And in the course of that, uh, came to know a guy uh, who ha- was getting an investment bank started and uh, was the first employee way back in 1996 or seven, something like that. Um, and, and that relationship and then the relationships that I developed in investment banking uh, over the next 15 to 20 years uh, brought me in contact with a whole lot of different folks. Um, one of those was uh, uh, the daughter, excuse me, the, <laughs> the father of one of my neighbors, uh, a guy named Tom Lusinski, who was uh, a, a senior executive at, at Rollins and uh, came down to have a chat with him to see how I might be able to help out uh, Rollins on an, on an interim basis, just between a couple of folks. And, uh, you know, continue that conversation. And a few months later, 
uh, was offered the job to uh, to take up for uh, for my predecessor, and um, that was eight years ago. It's been a it's been a really fun ride uh, uh, participating in all the activity that our industry has seen over the last eight years. So, so I have a this is I think this is great because you have kind of a, a diverse background. Um, you know, you you've got investment banking. Um, experience in and obviously you've worked in some private equity and and now you have a role with Rollins and so I think that gives you a very unique perspective probably a lot different than most but having said all of that what in your view what is you know obviously we're in 2021 and and valuations are what they are what what is your like what do you think the state of M&A is in today's world and and I've got a follow-on question for that which is you know, what's the difference between selling to say a private equity player versus a strategic player? Um, yeah, great questions, uh, Donnie. You know, in terms of the, the state of the M&A uh, business in pest control, um, you know, certainly a very busy market today. Um, you know, busier, I think, than uh, than when I started eight years ago busier because uh, there are a few more buyers today than there were in the past and uh, management teams like the management team at Rollins are, are looking at, um, at at businesses perhaps in a way uh, at, at other pest control businesses perhaps in a way that, that is different than we looked at them 20 years ago. Um, I think 20 years ago you know virtually all acquisitions were looked at as tuck-ins to much larger brands and, uh, and and we skipped over the the value that a lot of these local and regional companies have in their brands uh, in their know-how in their uh, their teams and so those intangibles uh, have become recognized by folks like us and uh, we're finding ways to um, to you know bring those companies into um, into our businesses and then help them to grow afterwards. So we're looking at the business through a different lens today uh, than we used to, and uh, and finding more value uh, when we do that. Um, you know, in in terms of selling to a private equity firm um, or a strategic. You know, it really is um, couldn't couldn't be more night and day. And with with a company like Rollins, uh, we are long term investors, and um, you know, hopefully partnering with long term businesses to continue their growth over the long term. And I said long term about fourteen times there, and I I did that intentionally because a private equity firm has a finite life to their investment. It, it, it will, the, the business that they buy today will absolutely be sold at some point in the future. And that's just the way that they work. They, they have to work that way. They have to generate a return and return the capital to their investors. That's not to say that they're good or bad. That's just a characteristic of it. So when you work in a company that is owned by a private equity firm, you will at some point in the future, go through the turmoil of an M&A process. 
versus the long-term stability of a strategic buyer like Rollins. You know, I was going to say, and that's a great point is, you know, and I agree that it's not necessarily good or bad, but, you know, I'll share this real quick. I don't know if our listeners know this or not, but many, many, many years ago, I decided that I was going to get out of commercial pest control. And I know Dan knows this story, um, but I actually sold my commercial pest control division to Gorkin. And I just remember it was a very disciplined process. Um, you know, even the evaluation that folks came out, I mean, it was a great, I had a great experience by the way. And, and I'm not, I'm not advocating people go, you know, sell the Rollins or anything. I'm just making the point that it, it, it definitely is a different. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I'm not doing a commercial here, but I mean, I will say this for me, it was a pretty straightforward experience. It was pretty, I mean, the guys who came out and, you know, did the valuation and, and did all the due diligence. I mean, they knew what they were doing and it was a pretty straightforward thing, but, you know, I agree. I mean, I would, I've, I've known a few folks who have done M&A with Rollins and, and, and in most cases they were looking for a buyer that would keep things like there's not this transition that you talk about with private equity. So it's, it's a great point. So who, who are the, the buyers of these private equity owned companies? Uh, I would imagine that they could either A, go public, which probably we haven't seen that, or sell to a Rollins or somebody who's in a long, long game. What, uh, who, uh, you know, do you, do you get to look at some of these or? Sure. You know, um, we, we've had, uh, well, I, I think over time there have been a couple of instances of private equity firms um, investing in our industry and then, and then subsequently exiting. Uh, and I guess most recently with the, the most recent example of that would be with uh, concentric partners and their investment in EPS. Um, you, you know, Dan, we haven't seen r really enough cases of private equity investments in pest control to really prove that out. There are a couple of, of examples, um, but certainly I think you, you could uh, make an as a private equity firm, you could make an investment in our space and then potentially sell it to a strategic as your exit. Um, but you know, the, there's a robust um, you know, industry of private equity firms selling their portfolio companies to other private equity firms. And, and you know, there are certainly, well, there is at least one example of that um, in, in our industry with uh, Mosquito Joe. Mm -hmm. uh, owned by uh, an investor group, um, sold to uh, another private equity backed company, which was then again sold uh, recently to uh, KKR, I think. KKR, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, neighborly and then neighborly, I guess, sold to KKR, right? Right, so. right, right. So there, there, there is certainly the potential that some of the, uh, the companies, the private equity firms that are active in our space right now, may find that uh, that the likely buyer for their business uh, won't be a strategic but but instead would be uh, another private equity firm and i apologize so my phone's ringing and i have no idea how to actually turn it off <laughs> just, just it pick it up and hang up on them <laughs> it's the president so, of rollins <laughs> yeah no idea <laughs> this is live tv so everybody so 
So when you get to a KKR, that's kind of like the top of the line, right? I mean, they're one of the biggest, uh, most well-respected private equity firms. So, uh, so when they want to exit, I guess it's go public or sell to a strategic then. But uh, that that that's a you know a very logical conclusion at that level. You've gotten to a, to a certain transaction size when you're dealing with someone like KKR, where the 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 opportunities for a, a public offering certainly. Uh, do exist, um, and then you can look at uh, you know other options as uh, um, as Anti-CMEX did recently in switching from uh, a short shorter term private equity fund to a longer term fund that EQT created. Right. So so just kind of uh, as far as the landscape goes today, we're seeing a lot of activity, um, and I know the other brokers and. Uh, are as well, and there's a perceived potential for capital gains increase. Uh, the president said that he wants that. Um, I think that um, if if we can just get another four years of gridlock, uh, we can avoid that. Uh, but 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 I'm not sure that that's going to happen. But with that uh, uh, prospect looming over uh, and maybe higher interest rates, what do you see for the rest of this year, and what do you see? out into the future and, you know, um, as far as activity, valuations, et cetera? Yeah, certainly, um, certainly believe and, and agree with you, Dan, that the potential for an increase in capital gains is, is absolutely driving some interest um, in, in today's market. I mean, if, if you are thinking about selling your business over the next 12 months, um, there, there is a uh, a decent chance that if your transaction closed in 22, you would pay a materially higher capital gains rate than you do currently. And and if you just start to do some basic math, um, and and think that the the capital gains rate might go up by 50 to a hundred percent, so from 20 percent today to perhaps 30 or perhaps even uh, the high, as high as regular ordinary rates, then, uh, then it will take a lot of growth in your underlying business for the net uh, amount that you would get from the sale of business to equal out. So you'd be better off potentially in selling today versus waiting until next year or the year after. Now for more rapidly growing companies, um, you, you may be able to outgrow the increase in taxes and in a couple of years net more than you would have gotten in a sale today. So, you know, if you are a near term seller for other reasons, you are um, you are tired, you are your back hurts, you're, you're tired of uh, you thought you were in pest control, but really you're in HR. Um, you know, if you've got anything like that going on that causes you to otherwise think about it, then in my opinion, that the taxes would push you over that line today. Um, but if your your horizon is 10 years away, then then a change in today's tax rate is irrelevant because you're not ready to sell your business and you shouldn't. Right. So, so let's keep going down that road. Um, you know, Dan and I get to speak to a ton of people in the industry. I mean, folks who are, say, under 500,000 to those that are, you know, 50 million plus. Um, and you hear, you know, valuations all over the place, you know, from 1x to 4x even. 
Um, and I'm not going to get into the nuts and bolts of how those valuations are are created and and who determines you know what determines what your what your multiple may or may not be. But is our industry the only one that is that is experiencing a run up in in, in valuations and and are they justified? It's it's an interesting question, Donnie. Um, you know, is ours the only one with high valuations? Almost certainly the answer would be no. Um, but for the last eight years, all I've done is pest control. So it's tough for me to to, to point to other hot spots in, um, in markets. Many years ago, um, I worked uh, uh, as the, the, the seller's agent, as the investment banker on the sale of a couple of electric power utility construction companies. Uh, one, uh, well, both are over in South Carolina and both were sold uh, to a company called Quanta, which is um, it's actually now a New York Stock Exchange company, the ticker's PWR. But for a long time, about two or three years, uh, because Quanta was an active buyer, um, there were lots of sellers and, um, and that attracted other buyers and the multiples moved up over time. So uh, it, what is happening today in pest control is not unique. It is just happening in pest control today because, um, because the wonderful characteristics of the pest control industry and our businesses, um, because of the great returns that we get, uh, because of the predictability and on and on. There are so many things that are so attractive about pest control um, that it is no surprise attracting other um, other buyers, and that those buyers are are you know, willing to pay more and more. The the second question is it worth it is a really interesting one, um, and and one that I suppose will be answered in the long term or perhaps the intermediate term, but probably not in the near term. Um, I, I can tell you if you. Uh, it, if you buy a business and tuck it in and and just try to get your return from the economics of the customers that you got at closing, then then you have a very finite uh, set of economics and paying more than that defined set of economics allows you to doesn't make sense from, you know, first year business school perspective. Uh, if, however, that business that you buy allows you to expand your investment horizon from the likely lifetime of those customers that you got at closing to an almost infinite horizon, like our purchase of Orkin back in 1964, you know, what we paid for Orkin back in 1964 is today probably an irrelevant amount because we have owned the business now for you know, 50 years and, and our investment horizon wasn't the lifetime of those customers that we got in 1964. Instead, it has been this thriving business that we have owned and grown and you know, benefited from uh, over the long term. So, you know, um, it is that, that long term, if you can, help a business to to grow and thrive after you've bought it 
um, then you can support higher valuations than, than perhaps we've seen uh, in the past and certainly higher than uh, the tuck-in economics. So and that's the real question is, can, can you grow these businesses? So I have one follow-on to this, and, and this is, I, you, you said in the past that obviously pest control is not the only industry that has had this happen. And you pointed back to some previous industries that have done that. I think probably the, and I'm going to actually put your Notre Dame's robe on right now. Um, you know, in those historical cases, did the valuations come back down in those industries or was it a new level and that's the playing field now? Yeah. And that's, I think that's a lot of folks, especially uh, owners <laughs> are wondering like, you know, is this something as a blip or is this the new reality? Um, it, you know, again, y'all are just full of great questions today. Um, <laughs> I, I, I believe, um, that the, the historical valuations for the straight up tuck in company, straight up tuck in acquisition, those are unlikely to change because like I said, it, if, if you have to get your return basically from the customers that the customer relationships that you got at closing, then your economics are, are limited. And, um, and that's, you know, you can only pay so much before your returns get squeezed down to really close to zero or, or beyond to, to a negative return. And I don't think anyone wants to be in the business of making negative return acquisitions. Um, you know, I, I do think that we are seeing uh, companies like Rollins and uh, and companies like the the private equity investors in our industry, you know, going in and making acquisitions and proving that th these businesses can be bought and grown, and and earning a return because they've been able to do that. But that work is actually quite hard. Uh, you, you can't just take somebody out of business school, as you guys know and plop them down in a, in a pest control branch and have them run that business successfully. It is, um, it is far more uh, gritty and far more um, uh, practical than, than the theories that, that you get coming out of business school about how to manage a business. Um, and, uh, you know, finding the people who can do that, as Donnie, as you know, um, and, well, Dan, you know as well, uh, finding the people who can successfully run a pest control business is um, is much harder than than it might seem. Well, I so. think one of the one of the neat things about Orkin is that the the people at the top are all pest control people and have been doing it for a long time. And they you, you know people wonder why is Orkin got this tremendous valuation? It's because of the people and how they run the business, which is is. That uh, <laughs> I got to stop for a second because this is hilarious. I so. I went to school for computer science, right? And then I went into, I, I've been in the military since I was 17. I went to OTS, became an officer and had all this leadership training. And I will never forget, hearing you said it just took me back to, I will never forget five months into starting my pest control company. I'm like, man, I don't know crap. Everything I was told was a bunch of BS. This, none of this is working. And I went from like being the nice guy that live your dreams and we're all gonna to like, 
the complete hard ass that was just like down the line. I said, you're gone. And obviously, as you get aged and older, you know, I, I feel like I'm kind of more in the middle. But at your you're 100% correct. I think someone fresh out of school, you can't just pop in someone and say, here you go. Here's a nice Get little across. break. Take Get across. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so it's great. Great point. Uh, so, so bringing it back around, and I just want to make sure I'm clear on this and I want to, I want to tie this and then I'll let Dan ask the next question. But so, you know, do you, going back to historical industries that have had run up in, in, in these, in these multiples, you know, I, I think what I heard you say is that in some cases they stick and in some cases they don't. Is that is that a fair statement? I just I just want to make sure I'm clear on what, what, what exactly you said there as far as whether or not you think it'll stick. Yeah, I, I think. Uh, well, I want to say two things. Number one, um, in a lot of examples of other um, industries where there's been uh, an expansion of M&A activity and an expansion in valuation, they tend to play out over some relatively short period of time uh, because there's not uh, a wealth of sellers. And you know, all, all the big companies or all the meaningful companies get bought up and then you're left with things that are relatively unattractive. And, and contrast that with pest control, we've got a, a very diverse, uh, as you guys know, uh, a very diverse set of wonderful pest control companies in the United States and outside of the United States. Um, and, and one thing is true of our industry, there is always entrepreneurship going on. So it, as much as we uh, absorb each year, and you know, Rollins has completed more than 130 acquisitions just in the last five years. But you know, we don't see uh, the pipeline drying up. Um, we see new companies each year that that we don't know, <laughs> and and that's because they've only been around six or ten years, right? They they got started as uh, you know uh, a husband and wife team or a couple of business partners, and they came out of nowhere and they were really aggressive and ran their business great, and all of a sudden, boom! Here's a brand new five million dollar a year business that we've never heard of, that doesn't make it to the PCT 100 list. So, mm -hmm. you know, our industry is very busy with M&A activity, but also very busy, at least in my opinion, uh, with entrepreneurship. So, I, I, you know, um, do I think that this is some sort of bubble that will play out? I think there is probably some moderation, Donnie, at the highest level. Um, that that will happen over time and it, you know that will probably take some negative events for the top to come off of the market and then at the same time i think the bottom is coming up a little bit you know as i said the the, the economics around a tuck-in that smaller company that's the brand isn't going to survive the long term the brand isn't going to survive it's just going to be tucked into someone's operation I don't think those sort of base economics are really going to change. They might gotcha. show up a little, but the high levels, the, the numbers that you mentioned, I think those are going to come down slightly. I don't know over what period of time everybody wants to say, oh, that's the biggest, that's the highest somebody will ever pay. That's the biggest transaction we've ever seen. 
nobody will ever do that. And then the next one comes around and it's, you know, 2% higher. Right. Yeah. So, um, you, you know, for, for right now, um, I, I think the market continues um, and, and we'll, we'll wait and see. Obviously a big change in interest rates, um, you know, globally would, uh, would impact uh, pricing. And uh, with inflation ticking up, um, I wonder if some uh, some higher interest rates aren't aren't uh, in the offing in the next year. So you you talked about uh, the ones at the at the margin, the real highly priced and larger transactions and whatnot. And everybody talks about you know in the uh, you know the, the at the meetings and in the bars and whatnot about this this multiple of revenue, you know, and it seems like a nice easy way to talk about the value of a company, but it's clearly an oversimplification of value. So what are the levers like, uh, you know, uh, what is it that makes a company worth a, you know, uh, a five times EBITDA versus a ten times EBITDA versus a fifteen times EBITDA? Is it just size, or what? What? What is it? Um, yeah, so so certainly, um, just to speak to your 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 specific point, certainly size does matter. Um, you know, a a company with um, you know five hundred thousand in EBITDA um, has less um, weight in a market than a company with five million in EBITDA, uh, which has less weight in a market than a company with fifty million. Um, a $50 million EBITDA business is going to have its own training group, is going to have its own purchasing group, its own capabilities. It can stand by itself and continue to grow. The same may be true for a business with 5 million in EBITDA. The $500,000 EBITDA business, um, you know, probably doesn't have a whole lot other than a, a, a good core group of technicians and some really good customers and a really talented manager. Uh, but it probably doesn't have a whole lot more than that. So when you look at what else there might be other than size that would drive valuation up on a larger business, you know, it's um, a brand strength. Um, you know, when we bought Northwest in, in Atlanta, um, you know, it had a fantastic local brand and local i mean southeast uh, i think they were in three states at the point that we bought them um you know that's a that's a great business they run billboard ads here it's very residentially focused um and and there were so we were we were getting a lot more than just the customer relationships we were getting a management team we were getting brands we were getting a long-term track record uh we were getting you know sort of customer recognition uh, in a marketplace. And, and those are the things, those are the intangibles that, that kind of go along with size um, that you would expect to get. You, you also get track record, you get uh, know-how, you get um, relationships with important market participants, home builders, for instance, um, you know, regional supermarket chains, uh, you know, giant uh, neighborhoods where you have a relationship with uh, the neighborhood association. So all of those things are what you would expect to find in a large organization. And, and those are the things that help you to, to start to believe as a buyer 
that yes, this business will grow and grow at above average rates into the future. So I can kind of hang my hat on that from a valuation perspective and know that with some hard work by my own team, we'll be able to grow that business um, significantly into the future and earn a great return despite the high price. Interesting. And just, you know, we're, we're getting close to our time here, but I want to just real quickly, if there's some listeners out there who are, like you said, have this kind of 12 to 24 month timeline, can you just briefly high level walk us through what it's like to go through an M&A process and how it goes there at, you know, Orkin Rollins? Um, I mean, I don't know which brand it would be under, but, the, you know, what, what does that look like? Can you just walk someone through like the big picture of how that works? You know, um, as uh, Dan, I think uh, you pointed to uh, earlier in the in the conversation here, um, we've been at this. Well, I guess, Donnie, it might have even been you with your own experience. We've been at this a long time. Um, that doesn't mean that uh, that we, we are perfect and we've sorted uh, through all the all the challenges of the experience. But we have been at it a long time. And one of the great things about uh, about the Rollins company is that um, that we've learned lessons over time and we work hard not to forget them. So um, don't we all? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So take it Donnie's company that you sold him. <laughs> uh, you know, the experience is, is really quite straightforward um, and, 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 you know, pretty basic. We asked for uh, some some good information on the front end to help us to understand the business. Um, our word um, is really important to us. And so we like to ask maybe a few more questions on the front end than perhaps some others. Um, and that's because um, the biggest part of our internal evaluation process is not financial, but rather what are we going to do with the business is far more practical. What are we going to do with the, the, with the people? What are we going to do with the customers? What are we going to uh, you know, put in place to address um, this group of challenges that we've dealt with over time? Um, for, for instance, uh, you know, one of the uh, you know, fundamentals of coming to work for any of the Rollins companies is um, you have to be able to pass uh, you know, a, a drug test. And, uh, you know, there are a few places where that's that's actually not legal, but <laughs> but most of our employees have to be able to pass a drug test. And, uh, you know, there are places today where the use of marijuana is legal and, and that's fine. I'm not going to comment on on the use of marijuana, but uh, you if you are a regular user of marijuana, you will fail the drug test that that you know allows you to be an employee at Rollins. And and so you know the the MA process um, that we put into place you know makes sure that, that we're talking about those kinds of challenges before we get to a closing so that we and the owner can try to address any potential concerns about the employees, about the customers about their their own desires and needs for the business. So 
you know, like I said, we, we ask a little bit of information up front. Then we have uh, lots of conversations with the buyer, or excuse me, with the seller as we go from a handshake LOI kind of agreement to, towards a closing. And, uh, and Dan has experienced this. You know, we talk about all the nuts and bolts of, a, of the transaction. We talk about, um, you know, how we're going to transition this element and that element. Where are we going to have the employee meeting? What are we going to tell the employees? Who's going to tell them in what order? So we we spend a lot of time on the front end so that um, we can take the naturally disruptive process of, of M&A and make it um, uh, you know, as, as least disruptive as possible. Um, so we've, sorry, go yeah, ahead. We, we've done several deals with uh, Matt and uh, the process is pretty smooth and the integration is pretty pretty uh, smooth uh, once the uh, deal is done. So uh, definitely can vouch for that. But I do, we're, we're running toward the end, but this is a big one. So I wrote an article in May for PCT Magazine. They asked me what I thought was changing in the industry. And what I think is changing in the industry, we have a lot of, well, they were smaller door-to-door -door companies when we started with them. And now they're massive. I mean, 50, 75, $100 million. And um, it, we see, uh, I think PCT said in 2015 that the whole door-to-door -door market was a couple hundred million dollars. I see it as a billion dollar segment next year. Um, what is Orkin's view on door-to-door -door when considering purchasing? And are there additional considerations um, that you would look um, at that you may not focus in a traditional company that you would with a door-to-door -door company? You know, um, the door-to-door -door, um, industry has has grown tremendously over the last 20 years, and certainly um, taken you know leaps just in my short tenure in our industry. Um, you know, the concern um, that we have as a as a buyer as we look at businesses like that is, you know, just just as I said, um, you know. For, for a generic acquisition a few moments ago, the biggest part of our internal evaluation and, and decision-making process is, is centers around what we're going to do with the business after we close. So we would look at a business like that and say, you know, can we successfully manage a door-to-door -door sales operation and make some determination around that? And, and, and part of that would be, you know, do we have, uh, do we know how to recruit and, and uh, hire and train those uh, sales agents? Um, do we know how to do it sustainably over a period of time? And, and is there something else that we could bring to the table that would help those businesses grow into the future? And, um, and, and instead of just sort of ceasing all the, the, um, the door-to-door -door sales activity and essentially just having a massive tuck-in, um, which I think is what, um, you know, one buyer tried to do in our industry, you know, a few years ago. Um, I, I don't really think that, um, that you know, it really paid off. Um, you know, uh, I, I would say it even maybe cost a few people some jobs, but we won't go there. My, <laughs> and maybe the stock price uh, a couple yeah. of years. My, my, <laughs> But you know, that's what so, you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, no, no different than um, 
you know, any of the other acquisitions we look at, we would look at these companies and say, you know, what is it that we can bring to the table um, as, as a buyer that would help these businesses grow? And, and in some cases, the answer may be um, that there's really nothing that we can provide or it's just not a, not a good investment for us because we don't have the expertise. In other cases, you may look at the business and say, boy, this is a fantastic management team that, uh, that wants to partner with Rollins to take their business from you know, its current level to the next one. So um, yeah, Dan, we've certainly uh, witnessed, just as you have, the tremendous growth in, in those companies to, you know, I would, wouldn't argue with your billion dollar figure at some point in the next, uh, if not next year, then certainly some point in the near future. Um, you know, we're, we're happy that they're in our, uh, their market. We, we think that they are uh, growing the industry, not, uh, not stealing customers from other participants. Um, I 100% so, agree with that. I, I, you know, people, it's really easy for people to beat up on door to door companies, but the fact is they are increasing the customer base. You know, they are creating demand, whereas other channels can't create that demand. And so, um, Right. I think it's I think overall it's good for they the may industry. be taking some customers from other firms, but a lot of the customers are non users of pest control yeah. that are bringing into the pond. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It is an interesting phenomenon. They uh, you know, I've witnessed in the last few years, uh, many of those companies used to be sort of regular, sort of serial uh, sellers of of businesses. They would grow a business um, in in a specific market. And uh, and then sell it, and then uh, you know all of the the owners of that business would just take the cash. Um, today, um, they seem to be acting um, like growers of much larger businesses, and um, and you know it's it's an interesting and notable change. Well, Matt, this has been outstanding. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been wonderful. Just talking through. M&A and kind of your perspective on the state of our industry. And as Dan would say, I would respect you as a titan of the industry, the M&A world. And just <laughs> want to thank you for coming on to the podcast. Dan, any parting thoughts before we close out here? No, I just want to thank you very much. Uh, this is a really interesting uh, conversation and uh, um, really terrific. And just thanks so much, Matt. Thank you both. Really appreciate the opportunity. And if you would uh, both put on a tie, Maybe it would be slightly. <laughs> well, you know, people can't see us on the podcast, but thanks for exposing us. We're not sitting in our pajamas, if you're wondering, by the way. But Matt is absolutely in a T-shirts, no shave. You know, yeah. he has definitely outdressed us on, on this episode, and I can definitely give him props for that. Well, folks, that brings us to, to the end of another episode of the PMP Industry Insider Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Remember, if you like this episode or any of our episodes, please rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. And with that, we're signing off. We'll see you all next time. Take care now. Thanks so much.